find out in Niagara we're an optimist or a pessimist? I think that would be the title if I had one, optimist or pessimist, please. And we want to try to go over some things and we'll see which vein that we travel in. Let's just start at the sixth verse. But, in, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Are the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hand, for thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. I want us to notice the phraseology of the Apostle Paul as he makes a definite statement, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Or in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. And he makes a statement that's somewhat confusing, but... Yet it's a reality as he says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. And because he don't want to leave us hanging there, he says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels by the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to use the ninth verse, but portion of the eighth, but now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. I was put under thinking of this some time ago when I spoke with a bright young man who had just spent four years in the university. He had his whole life ahead of him and in talking to him, a young man that had got his education and his work seemed to be, whole life seemed to be ahead of him. I sensed an unwholesome air of pessimism about him. These are, in short, please, some of the things that he said. This must be the worst time in the country's history to be graduating from college. And he went on to speak about the energy crisis. Talked about inflation. Talked about the difficulty of finding a job. And of course on his mind fresh was the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. I sat and listened to him and spoke to him for the space of 30 minutes or better. His whole life, his whole outlook seemed to be filled with pessimism. I wondered how he could have spent four years in a great university and yet know so little about American history. I wondered as I spoke to him, had he not heard about the graduates of 18 and 61 who went straight from the campus to Bull Run. I wondered if he'd heard about the graduates of 1932 who did their postgraduate work on the streets selling apples to keep their livelihood, or perhaps the graduates of 1943, many who died in the Battle of the Bulls or on the beaches of Iwo Jima. I said, listen to him, I wonder. He knew all the headlines of the present. 
but had no feeling of what Americans endured in the past to bring him the privilege of giving him to college and preparing his life for a life to be lived that was well worth living. His vision of the future was clouded with the problems of the present. I looked at that and I thought, well, this young man is the only one that's being hindered by that. I sense that here creeping in even to the churches. As we see the future, Sarah, Christ seem to be breaking up around us. As we see things that we've claimed for years, and yet they don't seem to be within our grasp. That up to that young man, I thought that some way he needed to be taught that there is lessons in the past that we can look at, also promises in the future that we can look at, having made the present seem well worth living, don't you think? Can you say amen? Amen. And that same attitude of pessimism is creeping in the church. It's robbing us of our victory. It's robbing our vision of the promises that are actually ours. And in some way tonight, I would like under the influence of the Holy Ghost to say to us not to allow our vision of the future to be clouded with the problems that surround us today. And there's not an individual here that doesn't have perhaps more problems than they ever imagined they would have as a child of God. I'm sure there's not a soul here that hasn't underwent perhaps a lot of tragedies and loneliness, some despair, or, or something that would bring tears to our eyes, or perhaps promises not yet realized, have we sent wondering if they're ever going to happen, and if we're not careful, we'll let the present cloud our vision of what it is soon to come in our lives, in our church, and in our nation. I'd like to take a little while tonight to look through the Word of God and look into some lessons of the past. A lot can be said about Noah. We could say a lot about Noah. We could say a lot about Moses, greatest of all administrators. I'd like tonight to take us to the first century, to the venerated world and watch a great writer take his pen in his hand and try to put a headline of his day in the proper perspective. The early Christians were discouraged and distressed. The news that they received was filled with one crisis after another. The future they looked forward to seemed farther and farther away than ever, and some wondered if it would ever be, and were thinking of giving up, and fact, many had given up the Christian way and went back to the temple worship where they sacrificed animals and did despite to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was to these people that Paul took his head in his hand and began to try to add some perspective to those people. I would like tonight for us to listen. I realize our future doesn't look right. I realize we're under the threat of world domination of the atheists. I realize that homosexuality is running rampant over our world today. I realize immorality is everywhere you look. I realize church spaces are empty and pews are empty and stadiums where they play are full. I realize all of this. I realize Christians are undergoing tragedy after tragedy. I realize we're undergoing discouragement after discouragement. 
All you can do is try to point them to the Word of God. And sometimes this simply doesn't solve the problem. There's a lot of things that there's no solution for at all. We as Christians, though, are urged and invited to see the young this present hour. Have the same Jesus crown with glory and crown with honor. Amen. And look past what is facing us today. Look past the downhill struggle. Look past the things that's enveloped in the world. And know that Satan is on his last day. He's almost ready to give it all up. Jesus is about ready to take over. There's a lesson the Apostle Paul was saying as you read on down from there that the resurrection is evidence that the future rests securely in the hands of all our people. Yeah. Hallelujah. Our future is not in the hands of the city council. No, it isn't. Although I don't like what they do. Amen. I don't like the things that they do. Our future doesn't rest in the hands of the mayor. Right. Our future is not in the hands of the governor. The thing of our nation in the last analysis is not in the hands of the president and not the kingdom of Congress. And the future of this world and human race is not dependent on OPEC, which is uh, uh, governs all the oil situation. Doesn't rest in the hands of the Ayatollah Khomeini's. Doesn't rest in the hands of the King Faisal or the Castro's or the Arafat. Actually, it's not even in the hands of Pope John, although the world comes after him. And our Lord Jesus Come in your lifetime, and he might not. But what difference does it make? 
many times would I like to bring it up again. I'd like to read this Colossians 2, 14 and 15. As it says, blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way of nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I was privileged to be in a place where it was televised that day when the emperor stood before General Douglas MacArthur. Japan had been defeated with all of her worshippers of the sun, and the emperor stood there before General Douglas MacArthur and stood proud and stood at attention. And General Douglas MacArthur went up to him while the representatives of the whole world looked on. General Douglas MacArthur began to strip him of his rank, began to strip him of his honor, began to strip him of his dignity, and began to strip him of his power until that man once decorated and was a man looked upon as the high power of the pen that day stood there with not one single signet that identified him as a once great man. And I'd like to say that when Jesus rose that day, he did that very same thing to the powers of hell. And he stripped him of his power, stripped him of his honor, stripped him of his dignity. And so that's how uh, the Bible says it's cried uh, on
Praise the Lord. Somebody said one time, are you Jesus only? No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus only people claim God died. That's the basis. God never died. That's right. You hear me? Yes. God never died. Right. He was that way. Right. And he took it off. Thank you. 